0: Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, we continue a series on the seven churches of Revelation with John's message from Revelation chapter 2, dealing with the sin in our lives before God deals with it.
1: We have set aside seven weeks to study the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3, there are seven churches talked about, first century churches, and we're studying those churches. And more specifically, we're studying the message that Jesus had to those churches. Now, you may be thinking, John, I'm glad Jesus had a message to those seven churches 2,000 years ago, but I need him to have a message for me today. Well, the good news is this. When we open our Bible, did you know really when you open your Bible, what you're doing, you are bringing God into the conversation When you're home tonight, if you say, you know, before I go to bed, I'm going to open my Bible. Well, you just brought God into your living room. The Bible is a living book, and it speaks. And just like the messages that Jesus had was relevant to these churches in the first century, what he said is relevant to us today in the 21st century. All of the Bible is like that. You can pick up your Bible and open it to any book. Now, we're at the last book today, Revelation. But you could open it to the first book, Genesis, and start reading. And what was written a long time ago by Moses to a different group of people living in a different place is just as relevant to you and me today as it was then. In fact, to illustrate this truth, I want to show you three verses, two of them from the Old Testament, one from the New spoken to people a long time ago, but let me show you how relevant they are today. First of all, from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Now, before we look at the verse, remember, Joshua was the guy who followed Moses Moses, the great leader, had led the children out of Egyptian bondage. He died. It was Joshua's job to get them into the promised land. He's feeling intimidated by that. How can I follow Moses? Look, I mean, he's, he wrote the Ten Commandments. I mean, how, how could I be his successor? And he felt overwhelmed by that. And God spoke to Joshua, and look what he said. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid. Say those words with me. Do not be afraid. Then look what he said. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I have that verse along with two others on my nightstand, by my bed, and every morning before I leave my house, when I'm putting my keys in my pocket and everything else, I look at that, and that's the first verse I read every day. God has commanded us not to be afraid, but to walk in strength and courage and confidence, trusting in God that He is with us wherever we go. See, God spoke those words to Joshua but they're just as relevant to you and me today as they were so long ago. Second verse. This is out of 1 Samuel 17. Many of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Here's this young teenager, David, going out to do battle with a Philistine giant, Goliath, probably nine or ten feet tall, and he's feeling overwhelmed by this responsibility, and Goliath is taunting David and telling him he's going to kill him and all this stuff. And David is looking at that giant, and David says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of heaven's armies. And one of the things that David said that I think is so good in chapter 17, verse 47, notice what David said to Goliath. He said, the battle is the Lord's. Say that with me. The battle is the Lord's. In other words, David looked his giant in the eye, and he basically said to that giant, you're bigger than I am, you're stronger than I am, you're more experienced than I am, we're in a battle, but the battle's not mine. It's not between you and me, it's between you and God. The battle is the Lord's. Now, those words came from David's lips to Goliath. We get in battles in our lives, though, we're not fighting Goliath, we're battling cancer, We're battling depression. We're battling family problems. We're battling unemployment sometimes. We're battling all kinds of things. And we have to be able to look our giant right in the eye and say those words, the battle is the Lord's. It is as relevant to us in our battles against our giants as it was for David in his. And then this third verse is a New Testament verse. Before we look at it, I'll give you the background. Paul the Apostle had a, what the Bible calls a thorn in the flesh, some kind of a physical problem. Maybe it was an eye problem. We don't know what it was. And he had prayed three separate times saying, God, please remove this thorn out of my flesh. Solve my problem. Heal my infirmity. Make it go away. And God did not answer that prayer the way that Paul had prayed it. But here's what Jesus said to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Notice this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus said to the apostle Paul, Paul, I'm not taking the thorn away. I'm not changing your circumstances. I'm not healing your sickness. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to give you so much of my grace that you're going to find it to be more than enough for you. That word sufficient means enough. See, those words came from the lips of Jesus to the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, but they are as relevant for us today. We have our battles. We have our problems. We have our pains. Sometimes we have our illnesses, and Jesus says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul went on to say, if we read the next few verses, that he would boast in his infirmities, that he would boast in his weaknesses because it was through his own weaknesses that he was able to find the strength and the power of God. Now, some of you today, I mean, all of us at different seasons of our life, we have a weakness, we have a problem, we have something we wish God would solve or a need that we wish God would meet. And many times he does and sometimes he doesn't the way we wish he would, but he always says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. And so we trust God and we cling to that. And so what I'm illustrating is these promises all through the Bible, there are thousands of promises. You open your Bible in church or at home, you read one of these promises, it is as applicable to you today as it was when it was written to a different audience. That is because the Bible is different from every other book you own. The Bible is unlike every other book in the world. The Bible is the only book in the world that is living. It is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. You, can, you put your thumb on the Bible, you can almost feel a pulse. You, you put your ear up to it, you can almost hear a heartbeat. It is alive. It is living. And when we open our Bibles, we are hearing the very words of God to us today. I was home the other night thinking about something and I was a little bit, I don't even remember what it was I was thinking about, but I was, I was thinking about something. I was a little concerned about something, and I just opened my Bible, and it just fell open to a verse in Zechariah chapter 4, and I had it underlined. My eyes went right to it, and it said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I knew when my eyes saw that, that God was saying to me, John, here's how you're going to get through. Here's how you're going to handle this. With my spirit, not your strength, my strength in you. So remember this. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's a great statement from a man named Augustine who lived a long time ago. When the Bible speaks, God speaks, and it is relevant today. Now, I say all of that to say we are studying these seven churches in the book of Revelation and the message that Jesus had to them. It'd be easy to think, John, you mean I've come to church today to hear what Jesus said to a church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, what in the world does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with us. Now, today, the church is Thyatira. Here's the question. What was Jesus' message to that church? Well, I've condensed it down to one statement, and if you're a note-taker, you definitely want to write this down because this is, in a nutshell, what Jesus was saying to this church That was located in what we know Turkey today, Asia Minor back then. Here's what Jesus was saying. I have seen all the good things you were doing. So he bragged on them a little bit. He said, I've noticed all the good things you're doing, but you are tolerating a sin in your life that you need to get rid of. That was the message. He said, I've seen all the good things that you're doing, but there's something in your life. There is a sin in your life that you are tolerating. And instead of tolerating that sin, you need to obliterate that sin. You need to get rid of that sin now could it be today? Here you are in the 11 o'clock service on this Sunday. There you are in your home worshiping with us from where you are. Could it be today that the message Jesus had for those believers in Thyatira is the message that he has for you today, that he has noticed all the good things you're doing? You got a lot of good things going for you here. you, You read your Bible. You come to church. You love God. You tithe. You invite friends to church. You're serious about God. You're trying to live right. You're trying to be a good husband or wife or a son or daughter or a brother or you're trying to be a good Christian, and yet could it be today that in your life there is something that you are tolerating that you need to get rid of? Well, the odds are the answer to that question is yes. Now, as I was preparing this message, I jotted out some things that some people here today, may be you may be tolerating one of these things in your life. And I've just made a a list here. It's not exhaustive. Drunkenness. Uh, drugs, alcohol abuse, sexual promiscuity or immorality, pornography, a bad temper, bad language, a bitter spirit, spiritual laziness, excessive spending, extravagant spending, gossip. You know, you may have one of those things in your life, a bad attitude. Maybe you hate somebody. How's that? Just say it how it is. (laughs) Maybe maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody, and you, you got that. You know it's in you. And yet you look at that and you say well you know I shouldn't feel that way but it's not as bad as murder. Yeah, I've got a little I've got a little grudge. Somebody did something to me, rubbed me the wrong way. And yeah, you're yeah, I, I am. I've got that in me. I'm tolerating that, but I'm not committing adultery with anybody. It's not that big a deal. Well, I would be the first to say holding a grudge is not as bad as murder or adultery. But that doesn't mean that we should have it in our lives. See, we tolerate things that in our estimation is not that big a deal. (laughs) We say, well, it's not, nobody's perfect. I know I should really deal with that. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, I could do a whole lot worse than gossip about somebody or to have a bad feeling towards somebody. Well, that's all true. But when you tolerate anything that I've mentioned or something similar to that, what is happening is that thing is driving a wedge between you and God. And anything that comes between you and God is not a good thing. And there have been times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where God's convicted me about an attitude or an action or maybe a spirit of apathy. And so sometimes it's, it's an attitude, sometimes it's an action, sometimes it's apathy. We just tolerate things that God says you better deal with. Now, in Revelation chapter 2... Jesus addresses the sin that these people in Thyatira were tolerating, and it's actually the longest of all the messages that Jesus had to any of these churches, but I think we can deal with it in a very concise way. Look beginning in verse 18. The words of Jesus... If you have a red-letter edition, this is all in red. And to the angel or the messenger or, as we have said, the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can see everything in your life. Friend, you need to hear this today. That thing you're tolerating, that attitude, that action, or that apathetic spirit, Jesus can see it. You may think you're in there looking at pornography and nobody knows it. God knows it. You may think you're engaged in some questionable habit or questionable behavior and you've gone in your room and you close the door and nobody knows what's going on. God knows what's going on. And Jesus said, he describes himself as one who has eyes like a flame of fire. And then he says, his feet, he's talking about himself, are like fine brass, brass talking about purity, strength. It's the picture of a judge. And so Jesus is saying to this church, remember, I'm the judge. Don't judge one another, but rest assured, I'll judge all of you. And I have 2020 vision, better than that. And I see everything that's going on in your life, and nothing escapes my eyes. The eye, in Hebrews chapter 4, we read that to God, everything we do is naked and laid bare before him. You, don't have, you can't hide anything from God. And notice what he says in verse 19. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. He's bragging on them, all these things, your love, your works, your patience, and all. And he said the last are better than the first. In other words, you're doing better now than when you first got saved. Your service of me is better now than when, it, when you first started out. So he's commending them for that. But verse 20, verse 20 starts with the word, nevertheless. In other words, Jesus is saying, while it's true that you've got a lot of good things happening in your life, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, how would you like Jesus to say that to you? How would you like Jesus to come to your house today and say, Well, I want to just tell you something. I noticed you got up this morning and went to church. And I noticed last week, four days out of seven, you read your Bible and prayed. And I noticed you tithe. And I noticed you were kind to your neighbor. And I noticed that you have been forgiving of people who've done. I noticed that and I'm so proud of you. But while I'm here, I've got something else that I've noticed. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. How would you like to hear Jesus say to you, I have a few things against you? The thought of that makes me cringe. Well, what does he have against him? And here it is because you allow or tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And so here's what was happening in this church. There was a lady named Jezebel. Now, maybe that was her real name, or maybe Jesus is speaking metaphorically of this lady, but in the church in Thyatira, you remember in the Old Testament, there was a wicked king in Israel named Ahab. His wife was named Jezebel. They were a bad duo is what they were, involved in immorality, involved in idolatry. And so maybe Jesus is calling this lady Jezebel. Maybe he had, she had some other name, or maybe that was her name. But nonetheless, we'll call her what he called her, Jezebel. Jezebel was in this church in Thyatira, and she was teaching a Sunday school class. She was leading a connection group. And in her class, here's what she was saying. She was saying, you know what? God has forgiven us of all of our sins. We live in the age of grace. Behavior is not all that big a deal. How we live doesn't really matter. Here's what she was actually teaching. She was teaching what we do with our physical bodies in no way affects our spirit and our soul. So we can go out and gratify the carnal desires of the flesh. We can do whatever we want to do. And it won't affect our relationship with God. It was hedonism. It was a, it was a pagan doctrine that had crept into the church, and she's teaching that. She's leading the people in her class into adultery, fornication, and idolatry. And so when Jesus addresses this church, here was his kick. Not only that she was teaching that, his real kick was the leadership of that church and the pastor of that church were letting that lady teach that class. They should have called her in and said, ma'am, I don't know where you're coming up with this, but you have—you will no longer teach that class in this church because that is blasphemy. That is heresy. Now, notice this. They weren't tolerating somebody who had sinned in the past, got forgiven of their sin, and now seeking to live God. That wasn't that. They weren't even tolerating somebody who was struggling with sin. I mean, the Bible says, even when, after we get saved, we're struggling with sin. There's a battle sometime between the spirit and the flesh. So, on one level or another, we all struggle with sin. Maybe different sins, but we all struggle. It's not this lady was struggling with sin. This lady was openly, blatantly, wholeheartedly engaging in sin with no repentance, no. Uh, conviction, no compunction, no guilt, nothing, and she was leading everybody else to do the same thing. And Jesus is watching this, and Jesus is saying, why doesn't the pastor call her in and remove her from teaching that class? What what was that church doing? They were tolerating something that they should have obliterated. They should have removed her from teaching such heresy as that. Now, beginning in verse 21, we learn a very interesting lesson, and that is this. If we tolerate a sin in our lives, an action, an attitude, or a spirit of apathy, if we refuse to deal with something that God brings to our attention, here's the deal, He will deal with it Himself. And that's why I called my sermon title this morning, Dealing with the Sin in Our Lives before God deals with it. Now look in verse 21, what Jesus said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So this lady had committed adultery in her bed. Now her bed of pleasure is becoming a bed of pain. Now her, her bed of sickness, is, her, her bed of sin is becoming a bed of sickness. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches or examines the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So Jesus is saying, she didn't deal with it, pastor didn't deal with it, leadership didn't deal with it, nobody dealt with it. I gave her time to deal with it. She refused. I'm going to deal with it. And he dealt with it in a very serious way. So the message today is simply this. If we don't deal with sin in our lives, if we just let it go, God will deal with it. And the way he deals with it is much more severe and painful if it's in judgment than it would be if we would just repent of the sin and deal with it ourselves. Now, Beginning in verse, or just looking back at verse 21, I want you to notice two things that God gave Jezebel. Two things that He gave her because He's given us these same two things. First of all, He gave her time to repent. Look at it again. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and God is giving us time. The fact that you're still living today, the fact that you're listening to this sermon today, that thing in your life that you're tolerating, God is giving you time to deal with it, to confess it, to forsake it, to move beyond it. He's giving you time. And not only that, he's given us a free will. Look at the end of the verse. And she did not repent. Literally what Jesus said there was in the Greek, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. The NIV says she was unwilling to repent. New Living Translation, she does not want to repent. She would rather continue in sin. You see, God, think about this, how relevant this message is today. When we are tolerating something in our lives, an attitude, an action, or a spirit of apathy, we're tolerating it because it's not as bad as murder and adultery. I mean, really, compared to what some other people are doing in life, hey, holding a grudge and a little bit of gossip and, and overspending and gluttony, All these things that we say, well, but it's not really that bad. But if it drives a wedge between you and God, it is bad. And we tolerate it. And what does God say? God says, what I want you to do is I want you to deal with it. And I'm giving you time to deal with it. And I've given you a free will. You can deal with it. It doesn't say here, this lady was involved in immorality and she could not repent because she had been predestined by God to always live an immoral life. No. Crazy. That's not Bible theology. She was given time. She chose. She had a free will and she chose not to repent. What sin is it that you are tolerating in your life. And maybe there's not any. If we read this whole passage, there were many people in Thyatira who weren't guilty of this. Jesus said, for those of you not involved in this, you're doing the right thing. But what sin today might you be tolerating? And my question is, would you be willing to confess that sin to God, to stop doing it, to deal with it, to walk away from it, to draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward, that is done, And if you'll do that, you'll be dealing with something while God has given you time, and you'll be exercising your free will in the most wise possible way. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, this part of the invitation and the commitment time is for those of us who are saved, but we're still sinners even after we get saved. If that applied to you today in any area, and you say, Well, you know, I'm glad I came today, because that one, that one kind of that that shoe fit. I'm saying to you today, if that shoe fits, would you confess that sin to God right now? Ask Him to forgive you. And then say this. Say, God, with your help, I'm forsaking that sin. I'm repenting of that sin. And I'm not going to participate in that sin anymore. I'm not going to tolerate anything in my life that I need to obliterate and remove from my life.
0: John has just led those who are already saved in a prayer. If you are not saved, would you like to ask Jesus to save you? Won't you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Rabbit.